Welcome back to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. And today we've got another Dutchie on B, living in one of the four big cities in the Netherlands. And in this episode, uh, we're going to cover some pretty cool things um, going from loan hacking up to real estate, up to like, you know, how is a young guy starting out in the whole financial independence world and just mixing that, that all up and also having a bit of like a philosophical discussion on like debt loans. Like, what do they do to your life? How far can you go? Can you even take them out? How can you make use of them? Anyway, we really hope this offers some value for you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias. Good morning, everybody. So welcome back again to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Um, today, I've got some amazing people with me to get started. It's my amazing co-host, Araminta. Hello. And our guest of today, the fir- or actually the third Dutch person on. Good morning, B. Hi, good morning there. Anyway, so we've got B on the podcast today. We're really excited to like dive into another Dutch situation again because B is a bit younger uh, than Cheesy uh, we had on last time as our Dutch guest and has a really interesting take on a lot of different topics going from student loans to Dutch real estate and just simply how to deal with career and the whole finance movement and everything in it to kick it off straight away. What I would really like to ask, yeah, B, uh, who are you? What do you do in life? Yeah, great question. So I'm 25, living in the Netherlands. By day, I work as a consultant in the data and analytics sphere. But by night, I'm a financial independence blogger and trying to document my journey to FI. Okay, and you blog at firetheboss.eu, right? That's correct. Where does the name Fire the Boss come from? Because I like, you know, Fire the Boss, it's quite a, you know, upfront hard statement. I'm going to fire my boss. Yeah, exactly. So a little over a year and a half, I started my blog in Dutch, actually, at onsladebaas.nl, blogging about financial independence and personal finance in Dutch. And yeah, onsladebaas, in, in the past, there were a lot of, how do you say that? There were a lot of people fired during the financial recession, etc. I wanted to make a joke out of turning the tables there and firing my boss instead because I'm financially well off in the future and documenting my story in in, in that way. So when I decided to start my blog in English, I just went with the name in English, fire the boss. And also it's a nice wordplay to fire to the financial independence, retire early movement, I guess. Nice. (laughs) I like that one. Would you mind telling us what, what you work as? What's your job? Yeah, so my job, I work as a consultant. That means I advise my clients in anything that has to do with data analysis. We see that a lot of clients are really struggling to understand what's going on. And we try to help them in their transformation to become more data-driven, I guess, to to improve their operations. Nice. So really today, what what we're really going to focus on, what we're really interested in is real estate in the Netherlands, because we've heard quite a lot that the prices are pretty high, the um, real estate market is pretty overvalued. And in your blog, you talk quite a lot about real estate. You are personally a homeowner and you have different opinions on what's going on there. So it's quite interesting. So to get started, why did you start with real estate? Like why why did you decide to take on the big uh, property investment world? Oh yeah, that's actually very simple. I currently I only own one property, which is the apartment I I actually live in. So 
I decided to take that on because I was looking for a place to live and my income at the time allowed me to, to get a mortgage on the property I liked. So it, it was actually not really an investment ID behind it, but rather I wanted to live somewhere and instead of renting, I thought, okay, why not buy something? In the long run, I figured out that would be, that would make more sense. Uh, so I moved forward with it and actually I got quite lucky with the time frame. So I bought my apartment in late 2015. Actually, I, I was looking since the summer of 2015, I think, and the real estate market in the Netherlands at that time was not, was not that appreciating at the moment. In 2011 till 2013, we got hit quite hard by the recession. And I think late 2015, beginning 2016, the property prices started rising again. So I got quite lucky on the time there. And yeah, I got myself a nice deal. Yeah, it's really cool because you were, what, 22 at the time when you uh, bought the... Yeah, I was 22 at the time, yes. That's crazy, yeah. So can yeah. you tell us a bit how you... Was it because just because of your income or did you know what you were doing at that age already? Or how were you able to, you know, get started so early? Yeah, I guess I sort of knew what I was doing at the time. I was reading quite a lot about financial independence and, and personal finance already on Reddit and, and a few Dutch sites. However, um, I, I wasn't really thinking about using my apart apartment as a as a means in my journey to FI. However, I, I started working quite early. I already started working in consulting while I was still studying. And that meant that I, I basically started working at 20. So at 22, I, I had my job. I had, a for my age at that time, a reasonable income. And yeah, the bank wanted to loan me money to buy an apartment. So why not? That's pretty cool. That's pretty impressive to get it done that early. And also just ask, like, in terms of, like, square meter size bedrooms, like, what kind of an apartment have you bought? Yeah, so I bought a place with two bedrooms. It's about 75 square meters, I guess. And it's in, in one of the big four cities in the Netherlands and just outside of the city center. So not, not right in the center. I would have wanted to live there, but prices are really crazy. And even a couple of years ago, prices in the center were quite uh, unaffordable. But just out of, outside of the city center, uh, very easy to bike into the center to go to a bar or anything. And also very easy to get out of the city by car that I need for my job. Okay, Sweden, can you walk us through like your down payment, the actual interest rate you're paying at the moment? Yeah, so my down payment was negative. Well, I, I didn't walk away with money, but in the Netherlands, we had these crazy mortgage rules where you, can, where you could finance more than the property was worth. So since interest rates were really low back in 2015 already, I, I only paid 1.9% in interest. And I financed 103% of my property. So I could also finance some of the closing costs. I think I paid maybe two, 3,000 euros in, in total to, to pay for some closing costs. And, and that's it. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Um, in Spain here, we um, in Barcelona especially, it's really overvalued. And if I wanted to, I'm 20 at the moment, and if I wanted to, Buy a property, I mean, like, good luck, because, like, the, the mortgage, it would only cover maybe 80%, or, I mean, that's already pretty good, but if it's, especially if it's my second property, it would be 20%, uh, it would be 60%, and then between all the costs of management and, and all the papers, that would cost me about 10,000, like, of oh, wow. just, just 10,000, just that. So, that's Barcelona, specifically, if you go outside a bit and go down south, we, we had a pretty cool interview with someone who does real estate in Valencia in the south and they're doing pretty well. So that's interesting that in the Netherlands, 
yeah, you, you, you were able to work it out in 2015. I meant also just to throw in, like, at this very moment, it wouldn't work anymore than Netherlands. They yeah, okay. really tightened it. And if I, like, wanted to do a similar thing as Beat at 21 now, I would need a way higher income. And in terms mm. of deposits, I would not get away with 2 or 3%. They've really tightened it because they feel like, you know, we don't want another um, 08 crash and people not being able to pay their more. Because, I mean, obviously, if you're responsible and you can do it, absolutely go for it. But it's not as easy anymore, I wish. Interesting. What do you think about that, B? Yeah, so at the moment, the mortgage rulings are getting tightened up a bit. I think you can you can only borrow 100% of the, the property price. So still, that is quite a lot, but you have to cover the closing costs yourself. In my opinion, I think we are heading for another 08 or 09 crash. If we keep going like this, and not just in the Netherlands, but also in the US, you see that there is yeah, this whole movement of uh, loaning more money, etc., and also with properties prices that keep going up and up and up. That yeah, it has to stop sometime. I yeah, guess. definitely. We actually interviewed a guy from America, Eric, and he, he his deposit was two percent, like in America, which is this is crazy. That was really yeah, pretty astounding. Anyway, so moving back onto your apartment, what really are your goals behind this flat? So yeah, you want to reach financial independence, but uh, at twenty two, you already you decided to buy this flat what were your goals behind it at what was your 22 year old thinking when you bought this flat i thought hey i can afford it i'd like to live there so i buy it and that's basically what was going through my mind at the moment i'm yeah i'm three years into it i hope i'm a little bit wiser than i was back then and definitely i am looking to use my flat at the moment to pursue financial independence and whether that is by selling if it keeps appreciating even more or just moving out and renting it out or refinancing it and using some of the capital that is now in the apartment to do other investments etc so i'm definitely looking to use my apartments and, and potentially more properties in the future to accelerate my road to fi but have you also thought about like say you get a second property and how to deal with the wealth tax and box three on that yeah, sure. So in the Netherlands, we've got a wealth tax, which means that above a certain threshold, you are taxed on your net worth, excluding your primary residence. And actually, there's quite a lot of fuzz about it, especially in other countries when they say, yeah, the, in, in the Netherlands, you have the wealth tax. And that's pretty scary for people that are looking to become financial independents, since we're saving up quite a lot of money. However, we don't have any capital gains taxes. Our dividend tax can be can be minimized because they they take it out of your wealth tax uh, actually if you if you have paid a dividend tax so in the end i don't think we pay that much more money compared to other countries where you would pay taxes on dividends and and capital increases and we also actually get it back if you pay dividend so if dutch stocks pay dividend it's out and you own for example on aax or with a dutch broker that you actually get it straight back via your taxes as you said they deduct it from there but for example if you own us stocks i don't believe you'll actually get the dividend tax out of that bag because the 15 percent you'll pay in the us on say for example at&t you're not getting back from the dutch government but dividend stocks from dutch companies in the netherlands yeah, so I think in the US you're actually paying 30% and in the Netherlands you pay 15% and we have an agreement between Correct, yeah. the US and Netherlands. So you pay only the 15% here, but they take that out of your wealth tax, I believe. Uh, yeah, correct. And you get the difference back. Exactly. 
That's really interesting. I'd love to one day uh, sit down with the numbers and really like calculate to see if people with a wealth tax are actually, you know, with the disadvantage because it seems that they're not. I mean, you're right. I mean, you don't pay capital tax, a uh, capital gains tax, and you other, you know, taxes. So at the end of the day, it's probably just the same. Yeah. Well, I guess it's the same if you are in a time where the stock markets are rising and everybody's making money, then then yeah, sure. But if the stock markets are declining, then we are still paying the wealth tax. And then obviously you're not paying mm, the gains taxes. So there's a timing difference there, I think. Mm-hmm. That's different. And, but also think how much simpler it makes it. Because for example, like in the UK, where you can tax be taxed on dividends uh, based on your basic income rate on capital gains, and like there are so many more parts on the interest you will actually get, like so many parts of your financial life where you can be taxed on. For example, interest in the Netherlands is not taxed. If you have a savings account and you get a couple hundred on that, they're not going to tax that. And like that makes it a lot simpler as well. There was there is actually a Reddit post that of a couple of years back on the Dutch Reddit financial or the subreddit Dutch Fire that uh, really compares this compares this one with safe withdrawal rate of four percent in the U.S. versus U.K. Netherlands. I'm gonna find that one and pop it in the show notes. Cool. So another big question that I have here is that London, for example, is a very controversial place to buy property because it's super overvalued, and if you're under forty, like good luck buying property there and people there are well are better off renting than really owning a home do you think that in the netherlands that's the case like now uh, or or in general or what are your criteria to determine whether someone is better off renting than you know buying a place good question at the moment i think at least in the larger cities here in the netherlands we are moving in the direction that renting might be more financially savvy than buying actually um, I think if property uh, values started rising another 10 or 15%, I would strongly consider selling my apartment and renting something in the meanwhile, waiting for the market to come down, actually. I bought my apartment partly because financing was cheap and the, the apartment itself was cheap and renting was quite expensive. And also in the long run, I think you will you will be ahead if you if you buy something. But yeah, definitely when, when property starts, becoming more and more and more expensive as they are at the moment, then definitely there will be a point where you simply cannot afford a mortgage or your mortgage payment itself is higher than the rent. And then you start adding in costs for maintenance and repairs, etc. So we're definitely going that direction. That's interesting, yeah. But then you're also recommending timing the market, which is also a little bit complicated. Are you are you really thinking of in the end, you know, selling your apartment and renting or... Or when would you do that? Or how, how would you decide when to do that? I'm, I'm just playing with the idea at the moment. At, at current property prices, I will not sell it. Because for one, I like where I live and I don't want to have the hassle of moving, etc. However, if there will be a time where you can see that interest rates are rising again, which means that they will yeah, press down on property prices. And in real estate, I have the feeling that you can sort of see the bubble popping and you will see that coming a few months ahead if you pay attention to interest rates and the number of properties on the market etc so i would consider selling if i see that the interest interest rates are are creeping up and i can get a lot of money for my apartment that i know that renting is way cheaper then i will definitely sell take the profits and and rent for a few years so timing the market yes 
I would regarding real estate because you're making larger investments, I will definitely consider timing the market and not looking just at prices, but looking at does it make sense for me to buy a property at the moment, either to live in or to rent out. It has to make sense. You know, if you mm. buy stocks, you buy them every month. That's that's what I do. I buy ETFs every month with my income. But if, when I'm buying a property, it's a big one off investment and the numbers have to work. I have to have a positive cash flow at the end of at the end of every month. And when prices are too high and I'm not making any cash flow, I'm not buying property. Yeah, although I agree with you, real estate and, and the economy in general is a cycle. So yeah, you might sell off your property and then you'll benefit from paying low rent. But then 10 years later, then you'll, you know, it'll be, be you'll be better off buying a property and then you'll have to buy another property. And then it's just, it's like a cycle that keeps repeating itself. So, I mean, maybe just holding, buying and holding is, is not that bad idea. Like it's not that it could be a good idea also because, I mean, in the end of the day, it's less of a hassle and eventually the cycle will reset and we'll be back here 20 years later talking about this. And I don't know. What do you think of that? I fully agree with you in, in that there are cycles and that buying and holding is a good strategy. However, if you buy at the very top and you know you're not making any money on your, on your tenants, then there is no point in buying, you know? When things are too expensive and the rent is not high enough to cover for all your costs, then why would you do it? I think if you were able to purchase one property per year, then I would just buy something every year. And then you have the ups and the downs, etc. And then you're basically dollar cost averaging into the real estate market. When you don't have the financial means to do something like that, and you buy a property maybe once every five years, then yeah, I would definitely consider waiting for times where cash flow is a bit more easy to get. B, what do you consider making money? Because in the US, we've got the 1% rule, 1% of the actual property value a month in rent. What do you consider a fair level of making money in terms of positive cash flow for you to like, you know, keep this place when it's crazy high or buying a second place versus stock investing? So stock investing is something I do every month. I don't think about it. I buy, 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 and that's it. For when I'm looking at property or considering my own property, I just look at the interest rates I would uh, I would get on my equity in the property and also my cash on cash return, which is simply the cash flow divided by the equity I've got in the property. And I want to make yeah a, a nice return on that. And basically, at the moment, I would consider buying something when I get a cash and cash return of three or four percent. And that's maybe an actual return of seven percent, I guess. I guess if you would make four percent in cash flow, then you would get a seven percent total return because there is a, a mortgage payoff uh, involved in that, of course. So that, that's something I would be looking at. And also the appreciation, obviously, of the property has actually then you accept a fairly low return. Lots and lots of real estate investors just want way higher returns on their places. And, you know, if you take the 1% rule, you know, 12%, like before taxes on a property in that sense, obviously the Dutch market is a bit different and we have to be more realistic and hypothetical and the and etc. We've got, it's a bit of a different situation, but I like your take on that. Arminza, do you want to take the next question? Yeah, so um, you did something quite interesting, which is you refinanced your apartment and took out a loan. So could you walk us a bit through your thought process, uh, why you did that, and what, what, really, what are your goals with this extra money that you've taken out from your mortgage? 
Sure. So when I bought in 2015, I, I purchased my apartment for 162,000 euros. And over the last two and a half years, the market appreciated like crazy. So I saw apartments in my building being sold for 220 to 30 to 40,000. And I was thinking, okay, this, this is really crazy. I've got all this unrealized capital locked up in bricks, basically. And yeah, I, I want to do something with it. So I was, I think I was running one time when I thought, okay, maybe I can just either sell and buy something else and then take out the difference or just refinance and get another loan. So I called up my bank. I told them what I wanted to do. And they said, hey, can I take out a second mortgage based on the on, on, on my current income and the new property value? And they said, okay, what, what do you want to do with it? And I said, yeah, I want to invest it. And they said, no, we don't do that. So they were quite conservative in that. So I still wanted to move forward. And I, I started looking at other banks and I found a bank that was uh, very willing to, to cooperate. And I, I refinanced my entire apartments into a new mortgage with them. So I took out the mortgage with the new bank. I paid off the old mortgage and I uh, was left with quite a chunk of, of change, so to speak. Actually, I, I lowered my interest payments, even though the, the value of the mortgage is higher than it used to be. And I got left with some nice, nice change. Okay, man, <laughs> that's... Obviously, that's always been a really big debate in the whole financial independence and in general in the world, refinancing a place, taking the risk that we'll get a crazy drop in property value, interest rates will go up, you lose your job and you'll simply not a longer be able to pay off your place. It's always been a really big debate. And what I really like, yeah, like one of the quotes you threw in on your blog that I consider investing more important than becoming debt-free as well. So I'm like curious, like what is your take on that? It's very simple. I, I consider getting paid on my mortgage interest. When I originally bought my apartment, I paid 1.9% in gross interest. At the moment, I pay 1.4% in gross interest. I can deduct that interest from my, from my income tax. So all in all together, I think I pay a little under 1% in net interest. And then we've got an inflation of 1.5 or 2%. So in real terms, I'm, I'm paying a negative interest. So no way I'm paying that off. I will use that to invest instead. It might be controversial, but I absolutely agree with that philosophy. Yeah, it's all about the math, really. So, um, And I also tell this to students from my blog. You're sometimes better off not paying uh, the debt because if you pay it off early, then you're just paying the entire thing. When if you just wait over time and eventually with student loans that you, you get forgiven, like they, they disappear after 30 years, you're better off just not paying it off early. But there is another side to this, which is the psychological side. There's some people who hate being in debt because you're owing this money to someone. You have this, it's like a, something like a weight on your shoulders for some people, maybe not for you, but for some people. So what do you think of that psychological side to being in debt? Do you feel trapped? Do you feel that this is a good reason to pay off your debt? Yeah, at the moment, I, I don't really feel trapped. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gone through with it, with the refinance. However, I, I understand that people can, be, can feel overwhelmed with debt, especially if you are paying 50, 60, 70% of your net income every month towards paying down your loans, then I can imagine that it feels like a burden. Frankly, I would strongly consider advising people to pay down their loans 
if they feel overwhelmed. In the end, it's so for me, I'm a very mathematical guy. I, I look at the numbers. I make spreadsheets for everything I do. But I, if, if you can't sleep at night because your mortgage is too high or because you're afraid you lose your job and you cannot afford to live in, in your place anymore, then definitely go ahead and pay down on your loans. On the other hand, if you can pay your mortgage with 20 or 30% of your income and the interest rates are super low and you're trying to increase your wealth, then there are definitely ways to increase your wealth faster than to just pay down your property. That's very interesting. At the end of the day, debt is such a personal thing. I personally, I've never really been in a huge debt, so I don't really know. But if one day I had to be, one day I have to take a big mortgage, at the end of the day, it's, yeah, it's what you prefer. If you prefer not being in debt, then just pay it off. And if it, if it helps you sleep at night, then just pay it off. But if the maths makes sense and you don't mind it, then yeah, go ahead. It's really personal. I like it because in essence, it's, I completely agree with the philosophy, but I do always feel like you kind of have to go for like a two-way approach where, you know, say you got debt, but at the same time, like you don't pay it all off at once if there's a crazy low interest, but at least pay off a little bit. So, you know, you're lowering the actual amount, but, and, but you don't pay it off at once. And at the same time, you invest the actual surplus of your salary like not try to throw it all into like one bucket, but like divide it out. But I can completely get, you know, if you throw those numbers into a spreadsheet, it makes complete sense to just not pay it off. And in the Netherlands is so flexible on that. And we might not have the, the American salaries of 100, 150K a year, but we've got a lot of options ourselves to play around with the system and pull on levers to, you know, get us to where we want to be. And one thing I actually also wanted to throw in there, be because I've read on your blog that you kind of pulled the same trick with student loans or not pulled the same trick, kind of the same philosophy. Can you kind of like walk us through that? Because, you know, you have student loans, but you decide not to pay them off. That's true. So when I was in university, I, I didn't need student loans to pay for tuition. And luckily in the Netherlands, tuition was back then, it was only like 2000 euros a year. And I lived at home with my parents. So I didn't really need a lot of, a lot of money. Plus I was working on some jobs in the supermarket, etc. So I didn't have the need to take out student loans to pay for for studying or living or anything. But when I started reading more into personal finance and financial independence, I I saw that I could borrow money from our government for a basically 0% interest. And they would just give me the money for no reason. And I could do anything I want with it. And my my fellow students were buying beer and going on expensive holidays. And I just took it out and set it aside, invested it in ETFs and that's it. And when I started working, they give you, I think, a two-year grace period where you don't have to pay anything. So you can settle into your first job, etc. And then after those two years, after graduation, you are starting to pay off your student loans. Now I'm in the old system. These days when you graduate, things are a little bit different. For my age or, or the year that I graduated, I got 15 years to pay off my student loans. Then the interest rate is set for three periods of five years. So my interest rate was set a couple of years ago to 0.01%. And I've got that interest rate, I think, until late 2021 or 2022. I'm not sure on the exact uh, year. So basically my loans are free 
And then what the government allows you to do is to give you another five-year grace period that is without any reason. You can simply ask them, okay, I will not pay anything towards my student loans. And I, you can cancel payments at any time. And you've got 60 months to not pay. <laughs> uh, in total, you still have 15 years to pay. So you're extending the period of your loans. But as long as my interest rate is 0%, I'm definitely not paying them. Also, principal amount on the loans is not that big. It's only 7,000 euros in total. So I, I could pay it off from my investments anytime. And if I see that in 2020 or 21, the interest rates are getting higher and higher, and I will be locked into a high interest rate for the next five years, I will just pay it down. That's quite funny. Yeah, I don't know if I would recommend other students to do that, because you have to be, you know, with your head screwed on and, and know what to do with that money. And it's a bit risky because blah, blah, blah. And, and you can only really do that in maybe the Netherlands and other northern countries. But uh Armin said that the principle of 0% interest, so I only know about the UK, Germany and the Netherlands, but you can effectively do it in every country because the UK has 0% interest credit cards where you can take up to 36 months for 0% up to 10K. Germany also has really low student loans. You can kind of pull this trick in every country. Obviously, there are different regulations everywhere. And it's it's always a bit of, um, if you can easily cover the amount with your salary, etc., and it's manageable, I, you know, I can agree with it, but it's always a bit of a debate. Like, how far do you go? Because obviously, 0% interest, you know, get 100k invested, live of it. It almost sounds too good to be true. But in the end, you know, how far can you go? That's, I guess, kind of only something like every person can decide themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to know what you're doing. And many 21, 20-year-olds will be like, uh, yeah, free money, and they'll spend it on other stuff. So you have to be careful. As long as you know what you're doing and, and you're confident that you'll be able to pay that money back, then, then no problem. But if you don't know what you're doing, then maybe you're safer not doing that. I don't know, but it's, it's an interesting uh, tactic. I, I don't know if I'm, I don't, I'm not doing that, but now that you're, you're making me think, but I don't know, I, I have to think about it. Just make the spreadsheets. That would be my recommendation. Yes. These are key to everything. Everything in life. Everything in life. Perfect. Cool. I think we will be wrapping up. What do you think, Alvar? Absolutely agree. Let's dive into the final questions. So B, thank you so much for this amazing interview. I think this is like the first time we've really dived so in depth into a country like this, you know, throwing so many numbers also out of your personal situation. And thank you for sharing that. And yeah, we always have our final questions of every interview. And yeah, to get started with the first one, I would really like to ask you actually two things, where to find you and can you give us your announcement? Oh yeah, sure. Thanks. So people can find me at firetheboss.eu where I blog about personal finance, financial independence, my career, and trying to become better with my money. I try to blog twice a week there, and sometimes I feel like putting out an additional article on a Tuesday when I've got some things popping up in my head. So people can find me online at firetheboss.eu. And then, indeed, my announcements. So together with another Dutch personal finance blogger, I'm actually starting a personal finance podcast in Dutch, and it will be called Goed met Geld, which is being good with your money, where we aim at personal finance for millennials in the Netherlands looking to become yeah, better with their money, not necessarily retiring early, but just being a finance savvy millennial. Nice. So I'm very excited for that project. It's in Dutch, right? It's in Dutch, yes. Awesome. So number two, question number two, 
What is one resource not well known that you would recommend to others? Sure. So this is maybe not a resource that is not well known, but maybe here in the Netherlands, not a lot of people read him. It's the blog by Sam from Financial Samurai. He's an American guy and he has a great, great blog with very data-driven posts. I really consider him a thought leader in the financial independence community. And I like his take on, on a lot of financial subjects where he really looks at things from a wealth perspective instead of just a frugality perspective. And he's, yeah, he's putting out uh, incredible content, really data-driven, as I said. And yeah, his, his ideas are quite controversial at times, but I learn a lot from him. Nice. We will link him in the show notes. Yeah, I, I also really like it. He's one of the first ones I actually found years back. He is also one of like, could we call him one of the founding fathers? Absolutely one of the bigger pictures or persons within the whole movement. And then the last question, so the final ones, what is the number one actionable tip for somebody to get started on the bed of FIR who's already on the bed? Yeah, so I'm a huge data nerd and I would advise everybody to start tracking your income and expenses. Because if you don't know what you're doing, then it's very hard to improve. And actually, what, get, what gets measured gets improved. So if you just start tracking in a spreadsheet on paper, I don't care. But just start writing down your income and your expenses every month and have a good hard look at it and try to improve from there. That's exactly what, that's Eric from the Mastermind with him. That's his motto. He says, uh, what gets measured gets managed. And he's very proud of that. It's quite funny. So yeah, totally agree with you. Very good. Um, yeah, measure, measure your stuff, measure your money. Be aware, take action. Nah, I love that. And we don't have all the fancy tools they've got in the US, but you know, we can make our own. <laughs> We're innovative with enough for that. Thanks to Excel. Boom. And we've got plenty of amazing blogs out there and Reddit forums that give us really strong and good research resources. But anyway, B, thank you so much for coming on. I think this will offer some great value in general for everybody in Europe, because what you've done in the Netherlands can also be applied to other places in the Netherlands and your whole philosophy of how to approach things and starting out so young that's really crazy so anyway thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you I had a blast thanks guys thank you guys for listening to this episode we hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show you can support us by doing this subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books, and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>